What's up, world? I got a question for you. What is it that makes coffee so damn good? Maybe it's that caffeine and dopamine hit you get after pounding a pot or two. Or perhaps it's that feeling of connection that you get when you sit down with another person to work on yourselves in the process of recovery. Maybe it's the fact that you can take something so bitter and turn it into something so delicious. Whatever it is, we in the recovery community love our coffee. And why not? Coffee is fuel. Coffee is love. Coffee is life. That's what makes Brainwash Coffee the perfect partner for the Other Side of Hell podcast. Not only is every flavor of Brainwash Coffee mastered and handcrafted by obsessive minds who won't stop until they've gotten it just right, but 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community to help those who may still be suffering, which makes Brainwash Coffee a no-brainer. My personal favorite is Ego Ain't Your Amigo, a nice blend of Ethiopian and Guatemalan bean with a hint of citrus, dried fruit, and caramel flavor makes it a delicious blend for any time of day. Right now, you can go to brainwashedcoffeeco.com and use promo code OTHERSIDE for 20% off your coffee purchase. Brainwashed Coffee, clean your bean. We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I'm Cameron. Welcome to the Other Side of Hell podcast. Yes, welcome. Again. Here we are. Yeah. It's good to be here. Oh, man. High energy. <clears throat> I need it. I need this. It helps me so much me to too. be here with you and talk this stuff out, man. And to get these stories. We connected with a guy named Todd. Todd. Todd K. Gave us a great story and got us thinking, man. Like, we don't think the same way we used to. No. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, I mean, it, it took some took some effort to, to figure out that my thinking was messed up and then it took some effort to change it, so... Yeah, there was really like uh, a whole process of accepting the fact that I don't think like right. other people. Yeah. And so. then, you know, figure out what to do about it. What do you do about it? Yeah. So, yeah, it was great talking to Todd. I, I really enjoy getting these stories, man. And, I, and you know, because what we show on the show is just a short bit of our conversation. You know, it's just them telling their story. But I get to, I get to talk to these guys and these gals and, and kind of get to know them a little bit before and after the recording and, and find out a little bit more about them, a little bit more about their stories. And, and it gives me this sense of purpose and belonging and community and stuff like that, you know? And, uh, one of the things that he talked about in his story was the rewiring of his mind, mm -hmm. you know? And so I thought, Hmm, I think I've done a little bit of that. Yeah. I think we've had to, <laughs> I've had to. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's what we're going to talk about today. The rewiring of the mind. Great, great topic. I really appreciated that when I heard his story was just listening to him talk about that aspect because it reminded me of just how different our thinking is now compared to what it used to be. Yeah, it didn't come overnight, dude. Like, I didn't even know that I was thinking messed up. You well, know? that's what I mean. Like, and I don't know about you, but like... 
I remember not only not knowing that my thinking was messed up, but assuming that everybody was thinking in that same fucked up way I was thinking. <laughs> right. right. Or it's like, what, you don't need to drink right now either? Like you don't, we, we both need to drink right now, right? Like yeah. It's Monday night, so. And it's time to drink. It's time to drink, right? Yeah. Yeah, you get it. Yeah. But then like, oh, not everybody does that? Well, yeah, and um, not everybody's alcoholic like we are, right? Yeah, which which centers in the mind, right? So, um, you know what, I, Cameron, Cameron, yes, yes, Willie, you have a question what for you, me? What do you think? A query. What, what do you think the most dramatic change of thinking has been for you? Mm. The the. What was the game changing? Um, I think really for me, the biggest, the biggest thing is realizing I had a part in things and not just being a victim all the time. Oh, okay. So like sort of under, like what, what we, what we learn in, um, steps nine and 10, um, of, of, Alcoholics Anonymous and, and, and Todd was in AA and I appreciated that part of his story. But what we learned in steps nine and 10 is, you know, people that, that we need to make amends to, and we make amends for our part, right. Mm -hmm. And not for, uh, for our perceived, our perceived harm that they've done to us. Right. Um, so, and, and I should mention that this is all done in like a fourth step as well. Like that four step inventory where we, we list our resentments and, and then we, we decide what our fault in that was. And for me, like it was so, I was always going through, you know, these resentments that I had towards people. But for me to see what I had done wrong was revolutionary. Right. And, and for me to take ownership of that and then make amends for it, even if I had perceived for a long time that that person had also done me harm, right. um, was, was a game changer. So, so I would say that's, that's been the biggest thing is like realizing that the world is not out to get me. I am not special. Like mm. if I want what somebody else has, like I have to do what they have done. I, right. Like nothing's going to get handed to me. Um, and I think for a long time I did think I was special and, and that the world was against me and that, you know, I was being treated unfairly. And if you knew who I was, you would, you would treat me accordingly. And, and just, I mean, it's hard to pinpoint one, one way of thinking because it was just so off and so fucked yeah. up and just so so um, selfish self it's self-centered yeah, all, all me 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 yeah, me 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 it's me. completely self-centered yeah yeah so yeah. that's definitely been the biggest thing yeah well we we know that that behaviors you know routines become habits right like like something that we do over and over and over and over and over again uh it becomes habitual and it becomes automatic within us right mm -hmm. and so you know monday night drinking obviously there wasn't much thought behind um you know like like for me to go out and drink and use drugs there wasn't a whole lot of thought behind it like i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna use drugs it was more of an automatic wiring at that point towards the end right but the the negative thinking patterns about myself were very 
detrimental to the way that I felt. So I ran around uh, a, a majority of my life just in fear mm. and negativity and doubt and worry yeah. and, and all those things. And it, and it, it, I mean, it took these little moments in time where I was at the right place at the right time with the right frequency with the right people saying the right stuff that would somehow bypass my, my, um, defense mechanisms of self-preservation, making sure that I stay in this negative state because if I don't stay in this negative state, something bad's going to happen to me. I can't become too positive or I'm going to be let down or something like that. And mm. then these people would, would, I'd be at the right place right there. And they would say something like, I have a disease that centers in the mind. Mm -hmm. And I would hear that and I'd be like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. What do you mean yeah. you have a disease that centers in the mind? I thought my problem was drinking. I thought my problem yeah. was drugs. I yeah. thought that my problem was the law or, you know, some, some other thing, you know, and it, and it turned out that the way that I felt about myself pretty much created the habits that I had. Right. And so, um, mm -hmm. I would get up in the morning or stay up all night or whatever. But as, as I always started my day, it always kind of centered around me. Sure. You know? Sure. Kind of centered around what, what I needed to do to self preserve. And, um, I didn't know that that was a big problem as far as gaining self-confidence or having a life worthwhile or any well, of because that. Because what image were you trying to self preserve? I wasn't I, a positive. One. No, no, I was, you know, I was, I was trying to preserve the way that I felt. Yeah. And, and, and the way that I felt was based off of the way that I thought. Mm -hmm. And so even though I would go out into the world with one actor showing everybody this one face, right. Internally, I felt a completely different way. You know, internally, I didn't feel like I measured up internally. I didn't feel like I was ever going to amount to anything internally. I didn't feel like I was ever going to you know, uh, be a part of, or, or any, anything good would eventually come out of my life. But I acted as if, yeah. Right. Because I didn't want you to know that I felt that way. And, and it was automatic, mm -hmm. you know, that, that mask, the, that was the first thing that I put on in sure, the day was, sure. was the mask. Oh, I get that. <laughs> you know, yeah, I throw that. that fucking mask on. And then I would go out into the world and I would think something about myself, like, you know, I would look in the mirror and I'd be like, man, you just fat, mm. you know, and then that would create a feeling inside of me that would perpetuate the, the habit. Right. Well, I know what's going to change the way that this f makes me feel. And I would, you know, put in some kind of type of substance, usually start with caffeine and nicotine and mm. right. alcohol, <laughs> nicotine, I remember and, that. And and drugs, you know, and so like the drinking always, always led to the drug of choice. Like, like Todd talked about, you yeah. know, it always, it, it always led back to the one that, that destroys me. For me, it was heroin and meth, right? Like it, it always led back to that opiates and, mm -hmm. um, cause that was the only thing that eventually worked. You know, a lot of times yeah. alcohol would, would cause that violent, angry guy to come out inside of me. Um, 
anytime I talked to a cop while I was drinking, I ended up going to jail. So <laughs> funny how that works. <laughs> whether I was driving or not driving, it just if I if I talked to him, I got lippy. And you know, I didn't know that that it was all part of me trying to preserve something mm -hmm. that I didn't need to. You know, I didn't need to. What I needed to do was take a deep look at the things that were keeping me sick, like the resentments, the fear, the the behaviors that were harming other people, you know, because I would harm other people in an attempt to preserve myself. Yeah. It's yeah. just a sick way of thinking. And I, I needed a, a, a rewire. I needed... I needed a perspective change. I needed a change of mind mm -hmm. that that seemed to come about for these people that I was around uh, in the rooms of recovery. Well, that's the thing is like we have to get to the rooms first. Like we we have to we usually have to get into a position where that way of thinking is bad enough that it has led us to some sort of consequence that has eventually led us to um, a room of either Alcoholics Anonymous or, you know, I'll say like a therapist or, you know, some sort of something where we have realized our thinking is not the same as everybody else right. and that we need help in changing it. Um, as you were talking, I was remembering, like, I remember somewhere around like, I don't know, early, early 20s. Um, in fact, all of my twenties, I would say this is the case, right? Like I had many, many a girlfriends where I would share with them, like what I was honestly thinking about. And they would tell me, you think too much. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I heard that from, from, from girls I was dating. You think too much. You are overthinking that you are thinking about that way too much uh -huh. to the point where I just stopped sharing that. Okay. You know, I just started internalizing it and just started taking that and just running with it in my own mind. At least when somebody would tell me that I was thinking about it too much, it was sort of an indication of, okay, maybe I need to let that go. Right. You know, but the minute that I started just internalizing it and just running with it and then finding a substance, that took that away, like that became the solution. Right. And, and when it worked and then it worked consistently over a, a period of time, then of course that's what I think about when I'm in that situation. Of course that's what I think about the minute that I'm faced with, um, you know, some sort of confrontation or fear or doubt or, you know, something that makes me uncomfortable. Of course, the first thing I'm going to think about is changing the way I feel through that, that instant gratification that comes from that drink or drug. Yeah. And, and, uh, because I did that consistently for so long, that's where my brain still wants to go. So after I have so many consequences from that, I, 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 in my, in my case, was led to, um, you know, a treatment center, which eventually led to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. But through that process of recovery and getting better, I was able to see very clearly that my thinking is off. Right. I have a disease that centers in the mind and that it's not all this substance. It's that I don't think like a regular person. And one of the things that I had to do first was I had to cease the negative behavior, right? 
So I had to cease seeking that relief. Yeah, you had to get sober. Yeah, I had to get sober. I mean, that was the very first thing I had to do. And then I had to find a new way of living. I had right. to find a new way of thinking, a new way of acting. And, uh, and, and man, it was hard at first. It's because why would it be easy? Right? Like, that's not the way I think. Not on auto. It's autopilot. Yeah, exactly. Like that's not like, so I have to make a conscious effort to, first of all, take suggestions from people Mm -hmm. who, who know what it's like to be in my shoes and then follow through with that suggestion and then do it consistently. Yeah. Like it's not enough for me to just do it one time because that, you know, we, we've talked about this, but those neural pathways that are ingrained in our brain where, you know, like we, if we've consistently done that negative behavior, it for sure has created a neural pathway in my brain that connects the dots between this feeling and this behavior. Right. And so now I've got to go through this process of creating some new neural pathways. And that is a process. Just like the disease is progressive, so is, too, now the rewiring of my brain. It also has to be something that I do consistently in order to progress that new positive behavior and create that new neural pathway. Yeah. Good, 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 good. Good stuff. So man. what have you what have you done in your experience? Like what are some of the things you've done to to rewire your shit? Well, unfortunately for me, man, like uh change only comes through pain, man. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. You know, and I when can't we're forced and desperate. And I can't seem to to get on the other side of that habit, even in sobriety. You know, I got nine and a half years, almost ten years of being sober and I still have to fucking go through some type of trauma or tragedy in order for me to, to wake up enough to, to see that, Hey, you know, the way that you're thinking is fucked up, you know? And, and, and I've been sharing about this, this recent transition through, um, untreated alcoholism while sober, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so, uh, like I have to, I have to get outside opinions and I have to talk about this stuff. Cause when I, when I internalize it, you know, what, what's weird is that I'll find myself feeling the same way that I felt when I wasn't sober. Yeah. I'll have that same anxiety, that same fear, that same overthinking, catastrophizing, um, you know, negative self-talk, the, the, the tragedies of what will come just flood my sub my flood my mind to the point where I'm physically feeling it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And as I start talking to, to people about this stuff, then we start going through the process of recovery from insanity, you know, the recovery from that stuff. And it's not something that comes overnight, but the first thing I have to do is I have to stop, pause and think like I have to think, okay, is this thought that I'm having true? Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so, um, if it is true, right. Like, like for me, for whatever reason, you know, sometimes finances will come up and and my thinking will go to, there's not enough. There'll never be enough. I'm going to mess this up. Uh, I'm going to end up owing more than I make, you know, norm. I, I think probably very normal concerns. Sure. Okay. 
normal concerns. Especially for a business owner who, you know, whose work is contingent on other people's needs. Yeah. You're not guaranteed anything. No, but I mean, history has shown that I will be okay. Right, right, right. You know, um, and then that old habitual pattern of catastrophizing and, and, and going into future tripping and all that stuff will come back in and I have to go, is that even true? Mm -hmm. Right. Is my life in danger? Why am I feeling this way? Because the weird thing about the mind, and we've heard this from, you know, different, different people, the, the body doesn't know the difference between reality and thought when it comes to a, a intense feeling like that. Right. So I can think of something very detrimental or scary or, or, you know, whatever that, that, that fear is. I can start living in that fear inside of my mind and have a physical reaction yeah, to it. I yeah. can, the cortisol will kick up, the adrenaline will kick up, I'll start losing sleep, all that stuff. And so if I can't talk myself through whether or not it's true, then I may need additional help, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the great things about what I found through work in the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous with a sponsor is that I'm able to step back and, and admit that I'm powerless over my thinking. Sure. Not just my drinking, right? but my thinking. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm not powerless over my behavior, right? And it, it may seem like I am from time to time, but I'm not, I am powerless over my first thought. Um, if I trust in the process enough, then I'll pick up the phone or I'll, you know, usually, yeah, pick up a phone or I'll, I'll run into somebody. I'll go to a meeting. But if, if I believe in the process and I can listen to it, then I know that it works for other people. Yeah. Now, I'm powerless over my thinking. and It makes my life unmanageable. And the reason that I can say that is because, you know, I go through this, this negative self-talk, this negative pattern, and I get disconnected from the people that love me. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I'm out in the weeds alone again. Even if there's people around, like I, I live with a wife and three kids, and I can find myself completely alone. Sure. You know, living sure. in, living in, in my mind. And so <clears throat> I'm powerless over my thinking that my life becomes unmanageable. Is there something greater than myself that can restore me back to sanity? You know, and I go through that process of, I need help. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so tragedy triggers, um, thinking triggers the feeling triggers, triggers the separation, triggers the fear, triggers the want for solution, triggers the answer, triggers the action, like, you know, and it, and it's just kind of a perpetual thing. Now, Fortunately, it's not every day or all day, every day anymore. That used to be all day, every day. Right, right, right. Like our, our sanity is contingent on a daily maintenance. Yeah. You know, and we can find ourselves in sobriety way the fuck out in the weeds where we gotta, we gotta get some additional help and start looking at the fundamental principles, the beginning parts of, of, of what got us sober and sane in the first place and revisit that and adapt and change and be willing to adapt and change. Yeah. It's needed. I think any, anybody with any long-term sobriety is going to tell you that there, they, there's been multiple times where they've had to go through the steps. And I mean, it's not like a one and done thing. Like this is something that takes, action 
consistently. Like it, it I, I'm never done doing the work. Like I'm never right. going to be done doing the work because I, I can't stay sober on yesterday's actions. Like I can't stay sober today on yesterday's actions. Right. Like mm-hmm. I've got to do something each day to get out of myself and get into a state of mind that is going to set me up for success. And like, so some of the things that, you know, I find to be helpful. And I think that there's some science behind this, you know, <clears throat> is, um, exercise and meditation. Like, I think that those two things allow, like we were talking before the show and Jordan used a great analogy, um, that where he said that, um, you know, your brain is like a, a, uh, a sledding hill and, the neural pathways are carved by like a sled trail. And when you do exercise or meditation, you're laying down a new blanket of snow Hmm. and you're able to carve new neural pathways. Um, And I think that that's like one of the things that, you know, using that analogy, like one of the things that we have to do early in recovery is stop taking that sled down that one trail, right? Yeah. Down that trail that led us into, um, into all the consequences that came from our drinking. Like it worked until all the problems came along with it. Yeah. Um, and so even though we find ourselves in those same situations where we want to react and, and take that thing that has just so consistently like is our go-to because it's so consistently carved in the snow, we've got to set ourselves up in a situation where we're able to carve those new neural pathways by taking different action, by, by taking suggestions from people that we meet in programs, by, uh, by exercising, by, um, meditating by, you know, just doing whatever is necessary and what is suggested in order to change our thinking. Mm-hmm. Like we've got to unlearn a bunch of stuff and then relearn a better way of living. And, and some of that stuff is not fun to look at. Right. Some of that stuff is, I don't want to say painful, but I mean, yeah, I mean, some of it probably is painful. There is stuff that we have to look at sometimes. It's just not fun. It's just not comfortable. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it can be uncomfortable, but it's so crucial to living a, a, uh, a life worth living. Happy, useful, helpful, happy life. Happy, joyous, and free. Yeah. Because otherwise, why change? You know, if I, if I'm not miserable and, and everything's working for me, then why would I want to change? Yeah. That, that wasn't the case. And right. It, and it, and it never is the case for change. You know, unfortunately I don't grow when I'm comfortable either, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like this double edged sword yeah. where, where I have to consistently, you know, push myself to a new level of, of discomfort along with you know, not going back to what doesn't work. Right. Right. Which, you know, the disease centers in the mind. Mm -hmm. It's the way that I think that makes me different than my fellow man. Yeah. It's my outlook on life. And yeah, which, you know, like 
it's not all doom and gloom. Like the good part is, is that I feel like in the end, like that can make me a better person, like not a better person than anybody, but just a better person in general. Like I, like if I'm able to change the way I think and get out of self and, um, and help others, then, you know, like everybody benefits, yeah, right? Yeah. And we've talked about that multiple times is like when I am thinking the way that I should be thinking, um, and by that I mean really just taking the actions to not think the way that I used to think. Right. Like if I'm doing all that stuff, then everybody around me benefits. I'm more present, like you said, like I'm, I'm there when I'm there, right? Like I'm actually present when I'm at home with my wife, when I'm interacting with my family, when I'm at family gatherings or, or anything like that, I'm actually there. I'm not isolated and lonely in a group of a thousand people. Like I can actually experience the world around me the way that it was meant to be experienced and not just stay inside of myself and continue to be the victim. Yeah. Because that's where for me, like, that's where my mind would always take me is, you know, like here I am, you don't understand, you don't know what it's like. Also, like, I'm not going to talk about this to anybody. I'm just going to sit here and act as if all these lies are absolutely (laughs) true. And, and, you know, like everybody around me will just wonder what the fuck is wrong with me and nobody gets an explanation and because nobody will understand. So, you know, like, that's where I get to with that old way of thinking. That's how it feels. And, and so it's so important. Like that's what led me to a drink, right? Like that's what led me to a drug. And like, so it's so important that, that, uh, that I accept that that's not the way people think. Yeah. Um, not successful people, right? That's not the way that healthy, successful people think. And once I can accept that, then I can look at, okay, well, what, what can I do? Yeah. And I think that, uh, that that's been the process for me is like, and it took a lot to accept that. It was a lot of work, a lot to really just sort of like understand, like I had to see a lot of evidence and I had to have it pointed out for me. Yeah. You know, like I had to, and that's the painful stuff. I had to look at all that stuff and go fuck you're right like i am sick uh yeah i i do think about that really fucked up (laughs) and then go okay what then yeah and and so we we surround ourselves with people places and things that help us in our in our journey to a better way of thinking Mm -hmm. right like like um I, I used to hear it quite often. I don't, I haven't heard it for a while, but I used to always hear, I can't think my way into a better way of living, but I can live my way into a better way of thinking. And, and I, I don't know that that's necessarily true or untrue both ways. I think it, I think it takes both in order to have a better way of living. Sure. You know? And so when I go around and I surround myself with information about, neural pathways from from people you can look up on youtube like joe Dispenza or bruce lipton or or you know um tom billy on on impact theory 
or um, even her own Jill from Sober Power talks yeah, a lot about Jill. that stuff. Um, you know, I can I can gain information that helps me understand that that there's a couple things about it. You know, one I I am biologically like most people, mm. right? And so yeah. the way that my brain uh, creates those new sled trails, those neural pathways is is quite a bit like everybody else and so what works for anybody to to create a new way of thinking will probably work for me too right you know that consistent want and and practice the habitual uh the understanding that that what i do consistently creates the habit you know everything you know when i do it over and over and over again it will create a new habit and that that's that's by and large for all people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For all people. Um, the other thing is that I can look into, you know, the spiritual aspect of what works for other people, right? So whether I believe that we are spiritual or biological, you know, I'm coming around to accepting that there's probably more than just what I see biologically, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. and the big book talks about, um, isn't, isn't visual proof the weakest form of proof, you know, for me, it was always seeing is believing, right? And so when I see it, I'll believe it. But now I can take the experience of other people like, like Todd, who said, you know, I rewired my brain through the people in AA, you know, listening to these people, right. Um, you know, through, through meditation, like I've heard so many times through, through meditation and surrender, I've been able to rewire my thinking through these principles of helping others and getting outside of myself. I've been able to rewire and not think in such a selfish plane, right. You know, which is, which is again, where the disease lies. You know, we think that selfishness and self-centeredness is our problem. I have a hard time thinking of anything other than me. Right. And, and it comes from that place of fear mm -hmm. that either one, I'm going to lose something that I got two, I'm not going to get something that I want or three, I've done something to somebody and I'm afraid of what's going to happen when they catch me. Right. And so I'll, I'll internalize all those things. It'll become this dark, dark space where I don't want to let it out. Mm. And then I'm going down the old trails again. Yeah. I'm feeling the old feelings again. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for the same old solutions again. And fortunately, if you come around here for a while, you cannot live in that space for very long because fear and love, um, compassion and hate cannot stay in the same space. Right. And so us alcoholics, man, we are, we are deeply passionate people, man. We, we at a deep level, give a fuck about ourselves and the world around us where we wouldn't try to get sober and we're empathetic and understanding. And the, the battle is that we're also selfish and self-centered in nature. And so there's this constant, battle between me and the world around me mm -hmm. and the only solution to get me out of me is to get me into you yeah you know and and the more i get into you the more the habit becomes getting into you the less i think of self the better i feel on a daily basis yeah 
which is what I'm trying to cure anyway. <laughs> right, that right, I right. feel. Well, and every time you said get into you, I went to a very sexual place because that's the neural pathways in my <laughs> mind. But that's not what I was talking about. <laughs> but you know, like I, I mean, it's it it it's true. Like the important part is being open to receive new information and being willing to to put that into me and into action and so like when i hear that helping others is is uh is something that helps is hey man the only way you're gonna get out of yourself is to help other people and like when you hear that like are you willing to do that like are are you willing to accept that that might work? Yeah. And if so, like, are you willing to put that into action to see if it works? And it, I mean, the one good thing I can say about, you know, the drug addiction is that it took me to a place where I was willing to try anything. Yeah. You know, I was willing to, to take advice from other people and I was willing to, to say, okay, um, if that's what works, then I will try it. And, and then through that process of doing that consistently, like maybe, maybe instead of automatically thinking about a drink or a drug, my mind will go to helping others, you know, at some point. And the thing is, is that even if it doesn't like, luckily, luckily what it will usually go to is like, for me anyway, it's like usually how it will go is I'll think about some sort of negative behavior. Right. And then it's like, okay, I don't want to do that. I know that that's what I'm thinking of, but I don't want to do that because I know how I feel when it's over and that's not the, the space that I want to be in. Yeah. So instead let me call somebody like not even necessarily to help them, but let me talk about this to somebody, right? Or let me go to a meeting or something. Let me do something different, yeah. right? Um, that is not that negative behavior. Um, and then, you know, find out from that person a tip or advice or something that's going to help me or talk to them about a problem that they're dealing with, right? Um, either way, like, even though I don't automatically go to um, a positive response, I can have a positive response in response to that negative thought. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and so that becomes a new process for me. So I remember early on in recovery, just thinking, um, am I always going to have to go through this process of first thinking about drinking and then not, you know, <laughs> right. like it's, it's, am I always going to have to do that? And the answer is no. no. Like, you know, like luckily I've been relieved of the obsession of alcohol, but I remember thinking for a long time in early recovery, like that, that's just how my life is going to be now. I'm always going to think about drinking and then I'm going to have to not drink. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's not been my experience. No. No, and, and here's here's the neat paradox about it. Okay, here's what's here's what's neat about um, getting out of yourself for others. If I do what you said, and I think about the thought, 
and then I think about a different thought as a solution, somehow someone that needs me will show up in my life. Mm-hmm. It's a paradox. Yeah. I can't explain it. Yeah. Right. It's like you said, I make a phone call and all of a sudden we're talking about their problem. Yeah. And I'm forgetting about mine. I'm living in service instead of selfish. I'm, I'm doing spiritual work instead of sabotage work. You know, that's when, when we ask for a solution, it seems to appear when we're, when we're willing. Yeah. You know? And, and I dig it, man. I'm, That's a great I'm, way to say I'm that. I'm grateful for yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for it. Me so. too, man. Yeah. Not an overnight deal, right? <laughs> no, dude. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lifetime process. And thank God for that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, luckily, luckily it's a lifetime process yeah. because, like, through, through that work, everybody, everybody around us wins. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know... Speaking of doing work and everybody around them winning, you know, we got all this from Todd's story. Yeah. Yeah. Great, yes. great story. So cool. Got the hookup from Todd from uh, Jackson from, from Stay Stop. And Jackson's going to be on the show. He's coming out specifically to, to be on the show, oh, Jackson nice. from Stay Stopped. So, yeah. Got him booked the end of October. He'll be on. Wow. And uh, you should see that episode. Good, good dude. T- Todd's a great guy. I had, I really enjoyed our conversation. I think we were, we were on Zoom for probably an hour. Nice. Yeah. Talking and chopping it up. And, and his story is, is, is great, you know, because uh, he found a power that works for him mm-hmm. after a lifetime of, of not having that and and years and years and years of relapse and recovery yeah yeah there's a lot of that in his story in and out in and out you know and at some point it it grabbed a hold of him and he was able to to recover yeah i i really think a lot of people are going to get a lot from his story just because it 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 has such a familiar tone yeah and, and and again, first first time telling a story like this. Really? Yeah. Great. So, good job. Yeah. So I I would say without further ado, let's let you guys hear uh, Todd's story. Hi, my name is Todd Kay, and I'm an alcoholic, uh, drug addict, and um, I've been sober now for going on about 19 months this time. There have been other times I've been sober too, um, but this is the longest I've had and aware of the, um, the change in me through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, this all started when I was younger. Um, I didn't drink or use till I got uh, into my uh, early 20s. But when I was younger growing up, I uh, grew up in a fairly normal household, but my parents were not uh, happy people. They didn't like each other. Uh, most of my childhood memories are just anger, yelling, screaming, very little affection, if any, no hugging, very little hugging, kissing, that, that kind of thing with your parents. Uh, none of that really happened. I had a younger brother uh, who um, has uh, passed on, um, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But anyhow, through the childhood, so I was a, a pretty strong-willed little kid. Um, my parents didn't drink. But they were miserable, uh, and um, 
that kind of rubbed off on me. They were they raised me as an atheist. We didn't. I never went to church. Um, I can remember, probably count on one hand how many times I went to church with my parents. Um, I remember that movie, The Omen, where the kid goes to church and starts screaming and yelling. I, I think that was me. <laughs> I, was just, I was a little devil. But um, anyhow, so um, I couldn't wait to get out of the house. Now, when I turned about 16, and I'm an old school guy, so I grew up over in uh, Arizona. When you turn 19, you could have drunk, you could have uh, drink alcohol at that point. Um, so everybody was drinking at an early age. If you had facial hair, you were buying beer. You know, they, they didn't, they very didn't card you. So it was a little bit different for me. I didn't like drinking though, but it gave me courage. It was that, we call it that bottle of courage. It would open me up and I liked girls and I wanted to meet girls and I wanted to, you know, get married and, and some of that kind of thing. So I realized that alcohol was one of those things that helped uh, lower my inhibitions I'd go to the dance, I'd go to the disco and disco dance, which I would, would not do sober. Um, I dabbled a little bit in, in uh, drugs, but not much. It was mostly alcohol. And again, I didn't even really like drinking it, but I realized what it would, what, you know, it, it, I had, I was doing it because I wanted to meet girls. Uh, the wrong, maybe the wrong kind of girls, but that's just how I was, uh, who I hung around with my friends. So through high school, uh, mostly there was not any really drug use or, or alcohol use. I had a few friends that, uh, that uh, um, played sports with me. I was on the football team. So one of the things that, that kept me away from doing drugs was the fact that I did not, I wanted to play sports. And I knew that uh, I wasn't one of those naturally gifted athletes that uh, could jump 10 feet in the air, could, you know, lift all kinds of weight without working out. I was just, I barely had enough to just make it, make it on the team, make the team kind of thing. And so I knew if I took, if I did anything to hamper that, I wouldn't make the team. So the drugs, uh, I stayed away from that quite a bit just because I wanted to play sports. And um, so some of the friends of mine in high school would uh, also like to party. And uh, I would we'd go out with them, but we wouldn't hang out because I didn't want to do, do drugs. And so I ended up becoming more of a loner. Uh, in high school, uh, I actually started going out with other kids from other schools um, uh, that, that I knew were straight. But um, what happened is then I ended up, because of, because of the home life, uh, I couldn't wait to get out. So I took off for college my uh, uh, junior year. I was in a uh, junior college my freshman and sophomore year. And I uh, took off to junior college. And that's when I realized, wow. Life without mom and dad is going to be great. Um, I was in, a, in my own world. I could do my own thing, go to bed, come home, do whatever I wanted, have whoever friends I wanted who come over. All the things that my parents uh, forbade me from doing, um, I was able to do now. And at that point, I realized I went to, the, I went to college on a partial scholarship for football. And when I got there, the realization hit me was, man, there's a lot of guys a lot better than you. And uh, the realization kind of starts setting in that this was not going to be my pursuit in life. And it kind of uh, it kind of took the wind out of my sails. My parents, like I said, I didn't, didn't hang around my parents very much at all. If I could get away from every chance I did. So there was no interaction with my dad. So I was kind of one of those kids. I didn't know how to do a damn thing. I couldn't do anything. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have the stuff, all that kind of stuff. 
that you can learn off of now. I had to rely on my dad. My dad didn't teach me anything. So I was really unskilled and I had nowhere to go. So my junior year in college, I started using drugs, mostly marijuana, but I was still drinking a lot. And um, that's when my drinking actually started uh, quite a bit was in, in college. And that's when I started to like drinking. So I started dabbling in drugs my junior year. And by my senior year, I was selling. And I was one of those kids that I came from a, I want to say a fluent family. My parents had money and they had stuff. So um, I wanted to keep that stuff. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't have any skills. I wasn't going to work at a, at a construction site or something like that because that was minimal wage money and I didn't, I didn't want that. So I got into selling drugs. Very stupid, but it was what I was doing. Um, God must have been watching over me because I did a lot of stupid things and I never got caught. Um, and back in those days, you got caught with selling drugs and you were in a serious world of hurt. Um, so that, as I look back, I definitely know that God had to have his hand over me, even though I didn't even believe in God. So my senior year, uh, I met my wife and she was in college, same time. And we fell in love. Um, we loved to party together. We liked the same music. Um, we liked a lot of the same things. And, um, so we both kind of were going down a path we didn't want to be going down. Um, the, the path of, you know, uh, a single person going, going out and, and having relationships, one-nighters and that kind of thing. So, and then drinking and the drugging. And so we kind of drew, we kind of bonded because of that. We both wanted to, we didn't want to quit. We wanted to get it under control. And we knew we needed each other to do that. And so that's how we, we became uh, a couple. We got married. And um, after college, I packed up and moved over to California. And, um, but I was still selling drugs. I was still selling drugs. And um, it ended up, I never did get caught, thank God. But it cost me a lot. And um, one of the things that I've, I've learned in life is ill-gotten gains, um, if you make the money the wrong way, it's going to go out the door. God's going to see to it that you're not going to keep it. Something's going to happen down the road. You're going to end up losing that money. Um, and I know that God doesn't uh, bless people that do things like that. So I understood, I understood that I, had to, I couldn't do this. But I couldn't give up using the drugs. Why? Because I had no way to deal with all that anger, that hatred to my parents when I was younger and the things that I didn't like, I was mad at God for giving me the, the, you know, he didn't give me the God-given abilities that he gave the guy next door. Why me? So I was mad at God, even though I didn't believe in God. Um, and I was really mad at my parents because they didn't give me any, any skills or anything. But I was not about to go back and ask them for a damn thing. I was, like I said, when I moved out of there, I told them, you're never going to see your grandkids again. I mean, if we, when I have grandkids, you're never going to see them. And I'm mad at uh, that's how mad I was. That's the kind of relationship I have with my parents. So um, when I moved over to California, um, like I said, we started, uh, we both worked. And that's when I realized I couldn't sell drugs anymore and couldn't party. I had to become a real uh, um, person and go to work. During that time, though, um, I didn't want to give up using. And my wife and I still partied together now and then. We ended up having our first child. She gave up drinking and using. 
And then after that, uh, we started partying a little bit more again. Um, I stopped also during the first pregnancy. The second one, she stopped completely. And this was in 19, let's say 1991 is when she actually got clean and sober. She still drink, did drink now and then, but, but there was the drugs and stuff were gone. And she had pretty much white knuckled it and became a good mother. But me as a father, I was not a good father. I, mean, I showed up, I was there, I loved my kids, I did a lot of things with them, but I was not mentally completely there because I was using. Um, during my kids growing up, uh, I missed sporting events, I missed um, back to school nights, I missed other things because I was loaded. And what ended up happening is those those early on regrets that I had ended up making me want to use to forget those. But then what would happen is I would use and then I'd have another regretful moment. And then I'd have to use to forget that moment. And it just became this, this vicious uh, uh, circle and I couldn't get out of it. I could not get out of it. So I ended up going to rehab Um it, it, it didn't, I didn't want to be there. It was a 12-step kind of a rehab, but it was a, a house where I was there, locked down for, for uh, four weeks. And uh, the first time I went, I came out. I was okay for about six months. And then that went, that went sour um, after that. I ended up using for another 10, 15 years, and I hit it quite well. There would be times where I'd go a year without using or maybe two years. But eventually, I'd go back to using, and I'd get caught. Uh, I never got caught by the police. Another another miracle, because uh, I did again. I did a lot of stupid things, even even in my older age, uh, with uh, drugs and alcohol. I got a couple DUIs, and I still drank and used. I mean, I, just just the stupidity of it all. Is, uh, looking back on it, just like wow, man, you were really dumb. And um, so I couldn't figure out a way to stop myself from using. And then people said, you know what? You need AA. AA is where you got to go. And I was, was thinking, you know, I'm not really an alcoholic. I'm just a drug addict. I don't need to quit drinking. I need, I need to quit using drugs. I still want to drink. I still want to go to the bars and watch the sport games and hang out with my buddies. But, you know, uh, I just need to quit using drugs. And that ended up happening. I ended up white knuckling that. I didn't go to A. I went to A a few times. Of course, the DUI is your court order. Uh, but I did go a few times to um, AA, a few meetings. I listened to it. I read those things on the wall. Man, those are those are very honorable things. Those, yeah, there's, there's something good here. This is a good program. But it's not for me. I don't need this. Um, so I ended up white knuckling the, the drug thing. But I started drinking. And then... My, my drinking went full-blown. I was drinking a bottle of 101 a day. I mean, a big quart bottle uh, from morning till night. I had my son with me. He was away for, with, uh, at, in high school. We moved to another district so he could play on the, this football team. And I just remember I was drunk 90% of the time. I'd go down and talk to the coach and just, you know, blathering, saying things to him, just drunk off my ass. I remember one time... I went into the coaches' booth during a game and started yelling at the coaches. 
during the game. <laughs> I mean, just I was I was just a, a, a mean, ugly alcoholic. Um, then what ended up happening is we ended up having I ended up having to move back home. My son ended up blowing his knee out um, his senior year, so that didn't uh, that didn't pan out for him. So we ended up moving back home, but my drinking didn't stop. And I'll remember there was one night I got so mad I punched a hole in the wall. I was not a violent person, never hit my kids, my wife. We never spanked our kids. In fact, we got the belt when we were growing up. And we swore that we would, that was another thing my wife and I bonded on. We swore we would never whip our kids. We both hate, my, our parents made us eat certain foods too. Peas were one of them. And I hated peas. Like, you know, you get to the, the dinner table and it's like, you ain't leaving to eat those peas. <laughs> eat till you leave those peas. And that was a thing my wife and I bonded. For some reason, her parents made her eat the peas, and I had to eat the peas too. Um, but um, anyhow, uh, it, um, it it kind of forgot my lost my train of thought there. But um, the bottom line is, I I ended up the alcohol just made me a mean, ornery person, and I was mean because I was mad. I was mad at myself. So when I wasn't sober, when I wasn't drunk and I was sober, I was mad. I was mad at the world. I was mad at myself. I was mad at the traffic. I was mad because, you know, uh, the people at my work were making bad decisions. It was costing me. I'm having to work harder because of these stupid people. And so I was drinking all the time, morning, noon, and night. Um, one of the... Um, one of the things that happened was I told you I punched a hole in the wall when I came back with my wife and she packed the kids up and took off. And that was one of the first um, things in my, in my, um, so it, it started my understanding this alcohol is a big problem. Didn't end up, it didn't end there. Went for a, for, went for a good another six to eight months. I put on 50 pounds. I was a big fat mess. And I was one of those kids where I told you I played sports my whole life. So I was really into health. And I would make fun of people that were fat or heavy. And here I am, a big, heavy person. I was six foot, about 290. And big, fat face. And I just, just looked like a big balloon, basically. So then I hated myself for that, too. And so that just kept me drinking more. I couldn't give up the booze because I felt bad. And, uh, of course, you drink. You don't want to work out. You don't want to exercise. You don't want to do anything. So... The drinking became a real problem for me, and for some reason, I ended up not, I ended up quitting drinking, but then what ended up happening was I went back to my drug of choice, and I was talking to Will earlier that, that when I, when I was, um, when I would quit using, I would go back to drinking, but then the drinking would lower my inhibitions, and it would start this this process in my brain again of, oh, you know what? It's not that big a deal. You can, yeah, you know what? That, that kind of thought, that kind of thought that comes in there when you start drinking and you start using, it's, it lowers your, your, your mental toughness, so to speak. And, um, so the, um, the alcohol just, I could not figure out a way to give up, give up the alcohol. So when I ended up giving it up, it was probably about oh, three years ago that I gave up drinking, but I was using, and I was using not just a little. I was over over 
overdoing it. I mean, I was going crazy. I would, wouldn't come home for days. Um, I didn't use in front of my family, but when I used, I wouldn't come home. Of course, I couldn't come home. My wife wouldn't let me come home. So to say that I used when I was away from, she just wouldn't let me come home when I was when I was loaded. Um, so this last time, as I told you, my drug use spun out of control. Um, I ended up having to go back to rehab this time. Uh, this is another rehab. And I've been to psychologists, and I've been to therapists, and I've been to rehab. And this is the second rehab I went to. Something kind of clicked in me this time, though, a little bit, a little bit more clicked. And I started to participate in the, in the rehab, which was Alcoholics, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous based. But there was a lot of drug users in there as well. So I would participate. I participated a lot more than I did in the past. I was a very uh, solemn individual. I kept a lot of stuff inside, as you can well imagine. I wasn't used to letting stuff out, being the way I was raised. I kept everything inside. Like I said, there was no affection, so there was no way to let anything out. Um, and so, but this time when I was in rehab, for some reason, there was a lot of younger kids in there. I think maybe that had something to do with it. I think maybe I felt like more of a mentor or older person. Maybe I can help these kids out a little bit. And I think that kind of opened me up a little bit. Um, so I ended up going to rehab for 30 days. I ended up um, leaving rehab and I had to go stay at, I don't want to say it's a, um, a, it wasn't a sober house, but I had to go live with, with, with a couple other people for about four months before I was allowed to come back home this time. My daughter was afraid of me. Uh, my wife had uh, served me with papers and said, you do one more time, and that those papers are going. Those papers are going to the lawyer. Um, <clears throat> I was $40,000 in debt because of credit cards. Um, I owned my own business. And I also, I also uh, worked for another company on, on the side. Um, I, was in, I was basically lost all trust with everybody. Um, and I didn't have anywhere else to go. And this last time when I got out of rehab and I went and lived, lived for uh, four months and then I came back home, I started using again. And that's when the wife said, listen, this is it. This is it. I'm serving you with papers. My daughter was afraid of me. Uh, like I said, I was in debt. And so about 19 months ago, I started going to a AA meeting. It was a morning meeting. And I told myself, this time, Todd, you're going to have to get, try to participate. You're going to have to. And so I went in there with the, with the mindset of, I'm going to kind of treat this as like the gym. Every morning, I'm going to go to the gym. And AA is going to be my gym for not my physical, but my mental state, trying to get my mental capabilities back. And so as I went there, um, I started to do a little bit of participation. I started to talk a little bit. And, um, and that brought some things out in me. And as I participated more and more, I started to realize that this, this might, I might be onto something here. Uh, one of the things that happened um, in my in my uh, early on sobriety was step three of the 12 steps. It talks about turning your will and your life over to God. Now, or a higher power, or uh, something that's, that's uh, outside of yourself. And I really had a tough time with that. 
But what ended up happening was, as I started to do the steps, that willpower, that, that, that nut, that shell started to get cracked. And I started to see that, hey, wait a minute, there is something bigger than me. There is something in control. Now, I didn't trust it by any means. I mean, I dipped my toe in the water and, and I, you know, I messed up quite a bit. Didn't use or anything, but I was mentally still, still pretty messed up. And then by the time um, I got through the third step, things started to become clearer and clearer. And the one thing that I loved about AA was it started to teach me it's not about you, Todd. It is. You got to get sober, but you got to help other people. And I started to realize that great leaders are great servers. And, you know, I've always had this thing, I've told you I want to be a professional football player. So, so I always had this thing about being something big. And I, that was one of the things that stuck with me. Great leaders, great servers, but it didn't make sense. How do you become great if you're serving a bunch of people? It just, it didn't make sense to me. But what ended up happening was as I came to AA every morning, I was doing the morning meetings, I was coming every morning, uh, just like the gym. And I had to participate. You go to the gym and look at the gym equipment and then turn around and walk out. No, you have to use the equipment, right? So I had to look, I had to do the steps. And when I did the steps, it's like I said, things started to happen. It took me a while to get a sponsor. I didn't get a sponsor for the first year. I ended up getting two sponsors, a spiritual sponsor and a flesh sponsor, I called it. One was to help me understand what was going on in my head. The other was, was to actually do the work. You know, write the things down, go, do, be, that kind of thing. And it really helped me because the, the spiritual part of me was a really tough thing for me to understand. I could check the boxes. I went, I did, went to the meeting, I did this. But the spiritual stuff, the, that was the hard stuff to understand. And only, only through doing the steps did I realize I was going to be able to, to uh, accomplish this. Um, my wiring was messed up. All the years of using, I had rewired myself, and I had to unwire it, the bad wiring. So I had to undo all that wiring that I was that I was uh, that I had used for all these years. So it's a very difficult process. I won't say difficult it, it, because it, it is. You're going to face some some, some uh, trials and tribulations through this, um, uh, and it's going to be tough that you want to run off and use because you know what that immediate gratification that thing is going to give it to you. But you gotta you gotta kind of white knuckle it through. The difference is you don't have to do it by yourself. And AA teaches you that you've got people that care about you. It's very different from what I was raised. Like I told you, my parents weren't close, and so it took me a while to trust the AA people. But once I started to do that and do the steps, things started to become very very clear. And um, one of the things that really really has stuck with me is you know. I was looking for something to manage my pain and the people in AA are in, in some of these other, other groups that uh, are listening is they teach you how to deal with the pain without using substances because they've been there. They've gone through the pain so they can show you, they can walk you through it. And the other stories are the redemption. My gosh, the people that I've met in the last two years in AA, it's like, wow, you used to be like that. You're kidding me. And you're this person now? I mean, the stories of redemption, you can't, you can't pay, you can't buy this stuff. You can't read it in a book. You got to meet these people and you got to see how they do it. And it really, really makes a difference. So one of the things I would really, really try to uh, 
encourage people is you're going to have to get outside yourself. You're going to have to participate and you're going to have to immerse yourself in whatever program you're trying to do. The spiritual part of this is really where it is really where it comes from. You have to be honest, honest, honest with yourself and people around you. And that honesty will help you understand the spiritual side a lot better. One of the things that breaks your spiritual relationships with God is lying and using. God doesn't deal with those. God only deals with people that are straight and and um, and uh, and they're 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 they're, uh, they're outside of them. They're they're looking to God for help. They're looking for His will. They want to talk to God and relate to Him. And so I would really encourage if anyone really really is, wants to change. I know some people are in different states of mind. And uh, sometimes, you know, you might hear something that, that's going to help you uh, maybe years later, maybe today. But it, it's a program that is going to assist you to give up and fix that thing between your ears that's causing you most of your problems. Um, alcoholism, all these other isms. Uh, I don't want to diminish cancer, but it really is, it really is like cancer. Um, how do you cure, how do you... Uh, manage your cancer well you go to a or how do you manage your alcoholism you go to aa you get yourself involved you do things and and your alcoholism will go into remission it'll never go away it's always going to be there you go out one time and there it is um cancer is a little bit different i understand but it does it'll go into remission and it can come back at any time and so can alcoholism and so kind of keep that in mind when you're thinking about what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease that you can't get rid of now. It's you've got it and you're never going to be able to get rid of it. For some people, um, uh, it's going to be worse than others, but it's going to be a situation where you're going to have to maintain, you're going to have to do the hard things. The, alcohol, the alcoholism, the, the alcoholist, uh, re, the chemotherapy for alcoholics, you got to go to the meetings, you got to participate, you've got to step outside yourself. It's hard, it hurts, it's tough, it puts you in vulnerable situations, but these are the things that have changed me. These are the things that have changed me. And now when I come home at night, my wife kisses me instead of looks in my eyes and wonders, am I loaded? When I, when I, when I don't call and I have to come home late at work, she still, these are still little triggers on her, but she knows now Todd's, Todd's straight. He's, he's on he's, he's, he's better now. And so a lot of the stuff diminishes and goes away. And the things that you thought you'd never have again, you're going to get back. There's instances where you can't, I can't, that first football game that I missed because I was low to my son, I can't get that back. But I can get that relationship back with my son that I def, desperately want. And, um, and, and again, I think my son desperately wants it too. So anyhow, that's my story in a nutshell. And I appreciate you guys listening. And um, thank you very much. And again, my name is Todd and I am an alcoholic. Nah, Todd, we appreciate you, dude. Like chemotherapy for alcoholism. Yeah. This is, this is your treatment for your disease, you know? And I totally agree with that. Yeah, I really like yeah. that analogy. I, I really liked in his story, too, where he was, where he talked about how he made this just like the gym. It's like I go yeah. to the gym every day to exercise my body. I go to AA to exercise 
my mind, my yeah. spirituality. Um, so I really like that because it's true, man. It's like, it's, it's something I got to do every day. I've got to do something every day to get my mind on the right wavelength. Yeah. To get my mind on that, you know, on that right frame of mind, because I'll go back to that old way of thinking. Fuck. So Quick. Easily. Yeah. We're both kind of dealing with a little bit of that. I mean, dude, I don't think like other people, man. Right. You know, I'm, I'm an alcoholic and, and AA, this podcast, people like Todd, that's my chemo for, yeah, for my, my alcoholism, you know, and, and, and I, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, he, he came out of what he came out of, you know, with, with so much resentment and shit in his family growing up, um, you know, losing a brother, finding, finding the, uh, power greater than himself could restore him to sanity and take an action in that, mm -hmm. you know, after mm -hmm. so many times. And it's like he said right at the end, you know, he can't get that that last football, that first football game back, but he can gain a new relationship with his family yeah. and, and other people. And, and now this is what he wants to do, you know, great leaders, they're great servers. Yep. And, and mm -hmm. so that's what he wants to do is serve. And, and, and I appreciate that. You know, I, I really needed to hear his message and, and remind me that it's not about me. It, it's hard for me right now. Yeah. It's not about me. Yeah. It's about who can I help and how. And, and so, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can help some people with this podcast. I know some people are going to get some stuff out of, Todd's story like yeah I could just I could just imagine him like in his car just loaded outside of his house going fuck should I go in or <laughs> should I should I not go in what <laughs> like, yeah she's gonna know yeah oh yeah and she's like she's looking out the window at him going he's fucked up again and he's like fuck I'm just gonna leave <laughs> <laughs> I love that we get to laugh about yeah. some of this stuff now. What I what I think is funny is it you know, he grew up he grew up pretty much atheist and yet his first sort of concept of God automatically he just built resentment towards yeah. it. And and I think that, that that right there is a true testament to our fucked up thinking. Yeah. It's like, well, I don't even believe, I don't even believe in God, but if he is real, fuck him. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what did that fucker ever do for me? But also I don't believe in God. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's, I really appreciated his journey with spirituality. Just yeah. hearing the whole, the whole thing. I know step three was sort of where he really started believing that it was possible you yeah know, like oh like maybe maybe this could work yeah and uh and and that that's amazing i love i love hearing these stories and i love hearing about the part where the lights come on yeah you know the ex yeah the excitement about a new life yeah you know we really are the lucky ones to yeah. say it so often i, I yeah we really are mm -hmm. you know Knowing at a deep level from, from one moment to the next that regardless of what happens, uh, it's going to be okay. Yeah. 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 It's going to be okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, Todd, thanks, bro. Yeah. It's awesome story, it man. It was good. Great. Yeah. Good delivery, too. 
Yeah. Not bad for a first go. Yeah. It's awesome. I think uh, a lot of people are going to hear his message over the years. So well, that's what's up. I, yeah. I'm still thinking the same way. I, no, nothing changed from the beginning of the show till now, but <laughs> it's all good. I'm glad we got to talk about this stuff. Yeah. I, I really appreciate it. I feel like, uh, you know, every show we, we really try and talk about something different. And every time I, I get something from it, like from our conversation, like even though it's a conversation <laughs> that like you and I would have over the phone because we have, you know, like I'm fortunate enough that I get to talk to you about this stuff a lot. Um, every time, like it, it, it always, at least I always leave feeling a little bit more elevated. Yeah. Um, and that's what I need sometimes. Yeah. That's, that's why that is in my tool bag, right? Yeah. It's to call you. Yep. Talk to another alcoholic. So use, use the tools or lose the tools. Yeah. Cool. Good. Deal. Well, Thanks, Cameron. Yeah, good good show. Yeah, we're going to get out of here. Thanks, Jordan. Rylan. Good to have you back. You're the man. Jordan. Todd. Hey, and remember, everybody, we are sponsored by Valor Fitness. You can go to Valor Fitness Clothing and get 20% off by using the promo code WORTHTHEWORK. They are an organization that helps other addicts in recovery. So... You can support the show by supporting our sponsors. And as always, we are sponsored by Brainwashed Coffee. Get some of that delicious Clean Brainwashed your Coffee. Clean your bean. At BrainwashedCoffeeCo.com. 20% off with the other side of hell. Promo code other side. Sweet. Uh, yeah, we'll see you on the other side. You are worth the work. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.